A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show podcast. We are ranked in the top 10% of podcasts globally which is super exciting for all of us. Um, so keep listening, following, and sharing with your friends and colleagues. Today, I am talking with Austin Britz. Austin is the co-founder and currently the VP of sales operations for Blue Palette, which is a startup in the chemical industry. And you're going to hear more about what Blue Palette is. Austin has founded several successful startups spanning from CPG brands to technology companies and actually got his start in chemical distribution working in that space for about 18 years. Together with that and with his experiences at Blue Palette, he has some really unique insights on chemical distribution, where it is today and where it's going. So we're going to be talking about that and more. Austin, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, absolutely glad to have you. So how did you get started in chemical distribution? I'm going to go back to that because it's not a typical spot for people to jump out of college and jump into. So how did that happen? Yeah, it's a funny story. It isn't the typical career path that you hear so much about. When I first told my mom that I was doing chemical trading, she she asked me if that was a code for, for selling drugs. Uh, so <laughs> I can I, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went to school at University of Washington. I studied international trade and my father was always in international trade. So it's something that I gravitated towards. And I actually had a really cushy job lined up doing substitute teaching on the island of Lanai in Hawaii. And uh, that, that was my grand plan after college. And it was That's really, a pretty good plan, right? Nothing yeah, wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, things would have looked much different, I'm sure, in my life. But yeah, things were ruined. That plan was ruined by a friend of mine in the rugby community said, hey, there's a there's a chemical trading company that's hiring, it's owned by rugby players. So you make it along with them. And they're looking for a sales associate to, to learn the ropes. And I, I looked into it and I ended up interviewing with them and just thought this is too good of a, a chance to pass up. It's in something that I'm really fascinated by. I don't know anything about chemicals and I hated chemistry in college, but I'll give it a whirl. And 18 years later, here we are. So it was, it was pretty amazing experience. Yeah. And that was with TRI that you're with, right? Yep. That was with TR International. Yeah. They're located headquartered in Seattle, but they operated all over the place. Had really amazing experience on the international sector. You know, they actually started more on the export side than they did on import. And then in 97, when the currency crisis of the Asian tigers happened, they really had to turn around and figure out how to import. And they're incredibly savvy, really fun place to work and learn. You know, it was an amazing experience. And yet you left. And you, you moved on into some other things. Yeah. You know, I had spent, you know, at the time I had spent 10 years there. I, they really threw me into the fire when I started. I really give Tony a lot of credit, uh, the owner and founder of TRI for giving me an opportunity that was probably above my level, you know, and it was definitely above my experience, but they sat me in the middle of the sales team and I listened to the team make a bunch of calls 
and you know learn the ropes that way. But I had some great experiences. I helped you know open in a facility they bought in Chicago. You know, I helped build that up from the ground and, and really help assist with that. And I had these great experiences, but I felt like it was, I was kind of getting to the point where you know I had learned a lot. There wasn't growth there, and I had this really nagging feeling in the back of my head that I would have this amazing job. I would make good money. I had a lot of freedom. I really enjoyed what I did. I loved the people I worked with, but I had this nagging feeling that 20 years would go by and I'd look back and say, you know, did I accomplish everything, all the growth, all the experiences I wanted to accomplish? And I got nervous that that wasn't the case. Um, so I ended up taking the leap and of all things, started a performance sunscreen company with a friend and also a person uh, who was at TRI, who later is also a co-founder of Blue Palette. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so this is all woven in the TRI and uh, chemical distribution is woven throughout your career. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, I still am very close with the folks at TRI. Uh, you know, I talk to them a lot. You know, Meg, who has taken over the business and I, I, I know has been on your podcast, is an incredible leader, has done an amazing job taking that over and really growing it. Uh, she's well respected and she and I owe her a lot over the years. That's for sure. Awesome. So you, you started this other company then? Yeah. The company was a performance sunscreen company. It was, I had read a book called Raising the Bar, which I think I have. Kind of sitting on the shelf back here. And it's it's the founding story of Cliff Bar uh, by Gary Erickson. And I was really inspired by it at the time. I, you know, I, I think Cliff Bar was on the on the bleeding edge of a lot of the best practices for taking care of your employees and providing a great life at work before it became in vogue, right? So I think that they were before Google and all these tech companies came very, very famous for providing lunch at work and you know, workout rooms and nap rooms and all these things. I think. I think Gary and his team at Cliff Bar were the very beginnings of saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to make this an amazing place to work. It's going to be a fun place. We're going to value family. We're going to value your time. And we're going to build something that really is really meaningful. And I read the book and it was, it was just you know, a shot in the heart of like inspiration of like, this is a really cool thing to do. I, want, I would also like to build a product in the outdoor industry, which is something I'm very passionate about. Uh, you know, I love the outdoor industry. And I wanted to do something that was kind of closer to what I knew, closer to sports, closer to something I felt like I could contribute to and something that was very different. You know, a CPG brand and how you think about a brand and the strength of brand is very different than, than is thought about in commodity chemical world. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was a hard thing for us to overcome. You know, I'll be honest, you know, we, we said, you know, we had this great product and it was well-priced and you're know, like, this is just going to fly off the shelf. And it turns out, you know, building a brand is much more complicated than that. And it took us a long term, long time to really realize the value of that and how hard you have, critically you have to think about the brand. So it was a great experience. And it's still thriving today. It's still yep. business it's still, and everything. It's still thriving awesome. today. Yeah. It's it's doing absolutely great. It's got a bright future and really excited about it. Yeah. That's very cool. So then tell us about, you know, how did Blue Palette come about? Yeah. So Blue Palette is very much born out of some frustration in the chemical industry that I had while at, while at TRI. Just some pain points that I think are universal across the business is, is kind of the, uh, the seed that was you know, planted a long time ago. And then Kevin and I, uh, who's co-founder of Zelios and, and also at Blue Palette, we had a friend in town. Uh, he's a good friend of ours from school. We also played rugby together at the University of Washington, which is how the three of us met. He had been down uh, visiting us in the Bay Area. He was up in Seattle at the time. He, uh, he had co-founded a company 
called Zero Hero that had built up technology in the event ticketing space. And that platform had been built up and it was eventually acquired by Ticketmaster in 2018, I believe. Might have been end of 2017. But Ticketmaster now uses this platform to run all of their NFL distribution, their secondhand sales. They basically powers a lot of their uh, their their marketplace engines. And what's with what was unique about it is that this product could speak to other marketplaces. So it could push transactional updates, pricing updates, availability updates to and from other marketplaces. So StubHub, RazorGator, Vivid Seats, things like that. After that acquisition, Scott was looking for a new product, a new project. And he was asking us questions about the chemical industry and, and you know, the questions were like, how big is it again? It can't quite be what you're telling me it is. And, you know, and there's no marketplace solution. And, you know, we're kind of explaining to him how a lot of the trade is still done manually, PDF purchase orders and the occasional fax machine. And we started brainstorming. At first, Kevin and I were like, absolutely not. This is going to be impossible. You have no idea how hard this is. And you have no idea how complicated and big this industry is. Um, but Scott is a very can be a very stubborn and very driven person. And when he gets an idea in his head, he tends to, to run with it. So long story short is that we ended up going down to the NEC annual meeting. He convinced to fly out there with him. We basically had a, had a booklet of screenshots of stuff that we could make. You know, it was like, I think we... So it was your idea book. You went with the idea, idea book. book. Was, yeah, stuff that we could. It was a vision board put into a presentation form. And yeah. NACD was very gracious and welcoming us, up, welcoming us as a potential affiliate member. And we walked around and just introduced ourselves to, to everybody we possibly could and, and try to get some uh, you know eyeballs on you know feedback and what we could build and it was really interesting because half the room you know I remember the first person we talked to just said good luck (laughs) 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 half the room was really excited and half the room was like this will never work and and I think that was actually more validating than anything else but I think our real pivotal our real pivotal moment was when we met with Terry Hill Um, Terry Hill who's former president of Univar he's actually currently the CEO of Barents And just the gold standard of respectability and kindness and everything that's good about the chemical industry. And Tony Ridnell was really gracious and made an introduction to him. him. And Terry had just written a white paper for the NACD on if e-commerce came to the chemical distribution space, what would it look like? And what would it have to look like in order to be successful and not disruptive? So we we, we ended up spending some time with Terry and he gave gave us 10 minutes to listen to us. And then we put some more time on the calendar up in Seattle a few weeks later. And I think we all aligned on what you know, what would be good for the industry. And Terry was very clear in saying, look, I've spent my life in this industry and whatever we build, or if we decide to do this together, it will have to be good for the industry and not disrupt it. It has to be, a, you know, something that's force multiplier and not something that's going to devastate it. Yeah. When was that? Boy, uh, that was three and a half years ago, I think, about, about that. This has been brewing for a few years before it came to the public eye, I guess I would say. It has. Yeah, we've been in stealth mode for, for three and a half years. It's, <laughs> it's been an interesting challenge in that you know, we, we ended up raising a little bit of seed money amongst some other industry you know, participants, you know, all on an individual basis, nothing with a company behind it. And also fans, friends and family, a lot of our old rugby buddies, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, our initial network, you know, we came in and we got the same development team that helped build uh, the product product for uh, Zero Hero. We basically were in development for two and a half years. And we spent two and a half years flying around the country, talking to all the people we could possibly talk to in the distribution space who would let us come in and, and check out their plant, tell us their story, their use case, how they service the industry. 
what they would need in a product if we were to build it for them. And we were just weaving that back into the development of the product. So we spent two and a half years just listening, ears open, you know, trying to hear what the use cases would be in the applications and pain points, taking guidance from the NACD leadership on compliance and safety and things like that, and building it back into the product. So it was kind of, it was, it was a little bit challenging because we had to sell the product, you know, before it was built. And we also had to build the product while we were selling it. So, yeah. So what is it really? So, I mean, so what is Blue Palette and what are you guys, you know, what's your mission? What are you guys doing today for the chemical industry? Sure. Yeah. So Blue Palette in, in its shortest form is what we call a network marketplace. So it has network functionality into it, but it also has marketplace functionality into it. The key thing, and, and we think we studied very hard why marketplaces have failed in the chemical industry. And there's been several attempts at people trying to make the technology work. So we, we learned really, you know, we dug deep into it and see where it failed. We saw a couple of key things that were really important to address. One, first and foremost, Shipping hazmat drums and totes of product across the country is a whole different bag of snakes than drop shipping an iPhone off of a website, right? So it's very, very different for many reasons. Safety and compliance is obviously one of the top ones. Making sure that people who are receiving that material or paying for that material are people who are are permitted and uh, licensed to handle it, making sure they're handling it in a safe way. Also making there's credit risk associated with that. You know, these are not cheap products. This isn't something where you can just do a charge back on a credit card. I mean, we're talking, you know, the average transaction value on Blue Palette right now is $22,000. So it's it's real money. So making sure that piece is is squared away. Also, you know, terrorist watch lists, sanctions lists, there's a lot of things that go into this industry that need to be considered in order to make a marketplace function. And nobody has done that on the front end. The other consideration is that we think that distribution is absolutely necessary for the chemical industry to function. And I think the mistake that a lot of people have made in the past is that they've looked at distribution as as margin that's available to be replaced by a marketplace. And we absolutely think that's foolish because we think that distribution has a vital function in downpacking next day servicing, you know, understanding use cases, formulation, there's a, there's services and use cases that are provided there that the manufacturers and stakeholders don't necessarily want to handle. So marketplaces didn't consider the distribution layer in the past. And we actually think that's one of the most important layers for this thing to function. So one of the use cases and where you can apply it to what we've built into the product is that a company may be authorized in a regional way to distribute for a certain producer. It's impossible with a two-sided marketplace, like some of the other ones that are out there that are very common and everybody knows, to gate who on the other side can see that product. So take, for instance, if you're, you have the authorization to distribute on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. If you are authorized to sell somebody's product in those areas, you can't participate in a two-sided marketplace because if somebody from Nevada comes on and purchases it and it goes out of your region, that violates your distribution contract. And it's not worth you sacrificing that to just get an extra couple of drums of incremental sales through marketplace. Right. Blue Palette solves that. So whenever you come in and you say that you can, I, you know, if I come in and I'm listing inventory down to the individual listing or drum, I can say, hey, I only want this available in California and Washington and only companies that are either in California, Oregon and Washington, or are shipping the product to California and Oregon and Washington can see this material. You won't even be able to see it in the marketplace if it's, uh, if it's, you're in New Jersey and this is only listed for those areas. Interesting. So, I mean, one of the things you mentioned on that is kind of just the whole, you know, it's they're hazardous or potentially hazardous products that are moving. And typically there's, well, generally a lot of pre-approval processes before somebody's actually allowed to make that purchase, right? From a 
handling perspective that it's heck, some of it's going into the appropriate end use, right? There's a, there's a lot of rules and regs around it. So what prevents somebody from coming on to Blue Palette and just buying a drum of <laughs> that, they, that they're not supposed to have? It's a great question. And it's one that we, that is kind of, I don't want to say it was a lucky coincidence, but the other kind of founding story of Blue Palette is us coming into a really talented group of people who called Velosi, who had built up a KY, what's, what's in the industry called KYB, KYC. So know your, know your business, know your customer technology that was based on verifying and validating companies and also uh, enabling B2B payments between those companies. So Blue Palette, the ultimate merge, we, we realized what they had in their technology. We realized what we needed on our side. At, at the time, Blue Palette was called Ecosystem. So the result is a merger of those two companies that we pulled off in January. And what that gave us is our own proprietary technology that we called TradePass. So TradePass is something that comes on and we do all the verification and validation of anybody. We do that upfront. So before you have access to the Blue Palette Marketplace, before you can list anything or buy anything, you have to go through our vetting and verification process. What that looks like is that it's actually quite intense, but we've made it as smooth as possible. It takes about 20 minutes to go through this. It's filling out forms, uploading some documentation. But really what we're doing is that we're doing a couple of things. We're verifying the ownership structure of the business. So anybody who has 25% or more of the business, we have to get full social security number, home address, home phone number of that person. We do this for a couple of reasons. One is to make sure that that matches up. We run that against sanctions lists, terrorist watch lists. We also allows us to comply with the Patriot Act's anti-money laundering provisions because our system can move over $6,000. You know, we have to comply with that. We also capture insurance information, uh, any other documentation as it, as it relates to things with regulatory. So, you know, if you're in DEA list one, you know, any of those uh, permits or licenses that come with that, there's a spot in TradePass to go and update those. We vet and, verify, vet and verify that on the other side. All in all, TradePass vet and verifies over 2,000 data points on every single company that enters our system. We do that every month. So this is not, some of those are actually live, but you know, the, the insurance one, for instance, we vet and verify every month as it goes. What that does is that allows us to build this very robust 360 degree passport of every company that comes into our system. We get credit information, we get terms information, we get a lot of stuff that comes with that so that we can see, and we have, a, we have our own internal criteria of who can join the marketplace and who cannot. TradePass also gates some very interesting kind of nerdy chemical stuff of, you know, like I mentioned, the DEA list one, list two, DHS chemicals of interest stuff. All that stuff is built into TradePass. So if somebody tries to order something and they don't have the permit or they don't have it uh, uploaded in, in on that particular facility, TradePass will block that transaction. We can go deeper and deeper into it, but we also have some individual permissions associated with it as well. So anybody who comes in who wants to buy hazmat products or those, you know, the three lists of, I, that I just mentioned, they have to get authorized, you know, one by their uh, their their administrator, but also they have to get off, they have to sign a documentation. You're required to have that on file every 12 months. It sends you a DocuSign where you, you get it on file, and uh, if you leave the company, somebody removes you from it. You have no access to Blue Palette. So one of the things that's interesting, and you mentioned some of the, you know, the unique function of chemical distribution, right? They're, they're not going away, right? Depending on the product, it represents 20 to 30% of products sold. It's a, it's necessary in a lot of ways, but you know, there's a lot of value that's provided and that value in that is really around customer experience differentiation, right? The relationship, the know-how, the service, the responsiveness, the uniqueness 
that each company provides. Absolutely. And yet it seems that one of the risks, um, perhaps in using a marketplace or perceived risk is that you lose that, right? It becomes, it ends up getting boiled down again to product and price. And so therefore commoditizes chemical distribution as opposed to allowing that value differentiation to occur. Absolutely. Are you seeing that? And how, I mean, is that real? Is that happening? How do you get around that? The theory is definitely real. I mean, that's definitely a threat. So one of the, we did two things to, to and I think there's two things I'd really like to, to hit on here that I think are important in how we thought of that of this. And that kind of addresses the second part of what the market and the network really are. So the network piece really addresses this. So we understand that it's foolish for us to try to get in between every transaction and every person in here, right? A lot of these companies have been doing business together for 35, 40 years, sometimes way more than that. So one of the key things about Blue Palette is that you can create your own network and and trade zone within Blue Palette. So it's a free trade zone. So let's say I'm I'm selling stuff through the marketplace. I'm using it to sell slow and dead inventory, whatever it might be. I'm utilizing the network and the vastness and the numbers that come with the marketplace and the functionality that are great. But also I discover a customer at a, at a I discover either a customer is on Blue Palette already, or I discover that they are a new customer I meet at a trade show. They can connect trade pass IDs. They can share trade pass IDs. And then it goes to a one-to-one relationship where it's basically just a portal. So they can see each other's inventory that's listed with the logo on and next to it. And then it just becomes more of a, a, a portal-like functionality. So I can, they can order directly from me. In that case, there's no markup from Blue Palette. We completely get out of the way. And what we do is we actually just charge a connection fee that's, you know, that's nominal. And in exchange, they get that real-time data and trade pass functionality. So if I'm using this to, to manage my customers, I can come in and say, oh, great. You know, I, I've made these trade pass connections. I have 100 connections in here. I have a very robust look at my credit risk. I have a very robust look, you know, my credit profile, my insurance risk. I can also see leading indicators rather than lagging indicators. So if somebody gets hit by a leaner lawsuit or if their credit takes a dive, then I can at least make a phone call before I ship that product. And what's important, I think, to to really call attention to, and this is something that Terry made very clear to us, and and he said, look, this is just the next evolution of how you service a customer well, right? So we used to have, we had a graphic for this at the very beginning, right? When we were doing our own graphics back at the time. So it wasn't very pretty, but if you you can picture that the picture of the evolution of man, you know how it's punched over and kind of goes to standing up. And finally gets high heels. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) The best one. We did one that started with, I think it was a sedan and then a fax machine and then a cell phone. And then it was blue palette, right? So we think that this is just the next, this is not going to replace anything. This is not going to replace salespeople. You're still going to have to spend your time on building that relationship, driving home those value drivers that make you unique as an organization, that make your service great. All the reasons that those companies have been buying from you for 60 years but this is just a way to provide an extra layer of service where people can log in and self-serve, they can reorder, they can come in and see your documentation, view it, download it on their own time when they're, you know, if they're up at two in the morning with a screaming baby and you know, can't sleep and want to get some work done, then they don't they know they can go in and do some self-service there, right? So they can come in and say, okay, I can and I can place an order, I can get I can track orders. All those things are just another level of service. The salesperson or that relationship is always going to be there. It's always going to be one of the most fundamental parts of chemical distribution is building those relationships. This is just another way to make it better. It's just another tool in the toolbox. So it's just the evolution of technology that's going to be there. 
The other thing I think is really important to call attention to, and I think this is something that we try to speak to our distributor customers about, is that millennials are moving up into positions of authority in the workplace. And they crave different technology. They crave different workplace uh, behaviors. They want that self-service and they tend to want to do their, their research ahead of time and then not talk to anybody. So they want to do their research. They actually research a lot. They choose who they're going to work with. They vet and verify. They do a lot of homework. This is just behavior we've learned from several studies that are out there in the B2B space. They're very loyal once they commit to somebody if the service and if the technology is what they want. So as they become higher in these, into these purchasing roles, companies need to think about how they're going to service those people and provide something that's going to make it easier and stickier for that person to buy from them. And that's something that we've focused really hard on at Blue Palette is make sure that we're democratizing this technology so that people can use it to better serve their customers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. And in fact, I mean, I've been kind of preaching this for a long time, the fact that people want to deal with businesses and digital technologies and a digital interface in their business life as seamlessly as they do in their personal life. Right. And I think it's been hard for the chemical industry to justify the investment. Um, and that's been a real blind spot. When I've talked to people through the years, even from the time when I worked for Shell and I was doing some e-business and, and e-commerce platforms there to even today, people say, but who's going to pay for this? Right. Because in many ways it's seen as, well, I'm especially the network piece of it. Well, I'm doing business with the same customers. And so figuring out what the ROI on it is on it, you know, how they can actually monetize it, create value and monetize it has been challenging. And yet, you know, you're, I think your point about millennials and heck, not just millennials. I'm a Gen Xer and uh, you know what, please, can I not, can I just research you online first before I talk yeah. to you or whatever? Yeah. It's, it's my expectation. Absolutely. I think we all have that behavior that's changing as we become more comfortable with things in our hands and being able to push stuff at a button. We're working really hard at making that easier and more, more native. And it's amazing to see the difference in our, it, just within our own team, just how the, the, the young engineers and how quickly they move through the product. And you can also see it when we're demoing the product and, and letting people walk through it for the first time. It's amazing to see how people can gravitate to it and, and what that shift is and how fast they can use it, especially with the younger generation. It's really, really wild. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what's been one of the biggest surprises maybe that you and your team have had as you've developed and launched Blue Palette? Couple of things I would think of, think about. We came in with expectations that the chemical industry was complex, and I think we even underestimated that. I think freight and logistics and the number of different ways a transaction can happen is very difficult to automate. We've tried our best, and I think I think we've done an okay job. I would give us maybe a C plus. Uh, I think on our first effort. So we're having to backtrack a little bit and really think deeply about who we partner with on the logistics side and who and what flexibility we have to build into the system and actually back away from automation in a few ways because automation has gotten us in trouble in a couple of times. So I think I think that's one thing that's that's been really surprising. The other thing I think we're pleasantly surprised about is the how quickly the acceleration of adoption has been. So I, I think... It's very much because of some some macro global factors that are. are oh yeah, I mean, you know, right working now. from home for the last uh, eighteen months has certainly been a big part of it. Yep, the supply chain shortages are are all a five star use case for why a marketplace should be existing, and and we've seen adoption happen. And I've told this to our team who are who are not all chemical people. I said, look, there is no better time in our lives for us to be able to help here and to be able to raise our hand and say. 
We have a solution. If you are having a hard time finding product, you may be able to find it here, or you can at least post on the wanted board and say, I need some help looking for X, Y, Z. Because our theory is that it is in the supply chain somewhere, but the supply chain is so opaque in the chemical industry in that you know, you never know what is out there and available unless you, there's no other way to do it at scale than to have it a marketplace. Um, you know, one of the anecdotes we like to tell is one of the first orders that went through the marketplace was between two companies who had known each other for 25 years. And it's just showing, it, it's not a mistake or anything wrong with what they did. It's just that it is impossible to know when you're looking for a product, who has it at that very instant, at what price, unless you're willing to make 600 phone calls and, or, or send out a blast email to everybody you know. But you can make that connection instantly through a marketplace if it's set up correctly. You can see what's out there. You can see what's hidden in the supply chain. So I think that's been really interesting to see. But to answer your question, the surprise has been when we first came in, we had, you know, I was saying at that first meeting at NAC, 50% are like, you're crazy, good luck. 50% are like, that's really interesting. I can't wait to see you guys try this. And then I think right now with the, the shock of the pandemic and the shortages and the move to remote work, we've seen that accelerate to, I would say it's probably 80% are people who are like, this is really interesting and fascinating. We want to be involved to 20% are still on the fence. So I think that's happened a lot quicker than we anticipated. And it's been really exciting to see people who are very hesitant and saying, you know, we're really scared of this. You know, this is not part of our plan come back around out of nowhere and say, hey, we've decided this is something we want to be on the forefront of and not be catching up to. So that, that's been a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about trade pass and you guys are collecting a lot of data. Um, and we know that data privacy and control is really important to most companies. You've also announced a I'll say partnership, although that perhaps is too strong of a word, so that you've got a, a business alliance with Alibaba, so a Chinese e-commerce giant, and yet the U.S. and China also have very different positions regarding data and data privacy, right? There's a lot of tension going on. How do you reconcile this and address these data privacy concerns and the differences between jurisdictions for yourself and your customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first and foremost thing is building trust and also being transparent. So being very transparent with our privacy policy that we have on the front of our website that you can go on and view at any time. And you could read through and see what we what we do with the data, what we can do with the data, what we cannot do with the data. And it's a great question. People's data is the most valuable asset that anybody in this, in this industry has. And, and for good reason, people are very hesitant to give it away. We have strong walls in our data, right? We, we, we very protect it very carefully and we're very aware of how important this is. So when it comes to business data, things like that, that is ours, right? We, we, you know, that's for our own use. That's for trade passes use. That never gets put anywhere. All that personal, very sensitive information that I, that I told you about is, is handled very carefully and actually never stored on a server anywhere. So that's taken off. Vaporize is never stored on any of our servers or any of our partner servers. Uh, so I think that's really important to call out. But we also know that things that are more business relationship, or, you know, more business related, like price books, pricing, things like that are also extremely sensitive. We will never share any of that information with anybody. Uh, we have that. That's completely, you know, your data. Uh, and we're building in a kind of a ripcord so that if you decided to leave, all that information will also go with you. So uh, you know, your ability to, to, to get out and pull out and you know, that your data is always your data. We do have plans and, you know, and we're going to take guidance from our community really on what type of, type of data 
people would be interested in, in monetizing and, and or at least accessing. So whether this be labeled pricing trends or heat maps or things that have more com- commercial value, we know that we're going to be, ha- we have that at our fingertips. We're currently doing nothing with it, but we will likely use it in some way. And we'll take guidance from the community saying, hey, what would, what would be useful? You know, what would you like to see? And But making sure that we're not giving anything away that's sensitive or that people would feel nervous about having out there. So we anecdotally, we think it would probably be pricing trends stuff, heat maps, things like that. Uh, with, with regard to the partnership in Alibaba, there's absolutely no no technology connection with them at all right now. And there's actually, there's nothing in the works uh, to happen there either. It's more of a partnership of saying, hey, we'd like to, you know, where we'd like to be in a few years is is similar to how we saw the, t- the technology space evolve in the ticketing industries when all those marketplaces can talk to each other. So, you know, you know StubHub, Ticketmaster, those, those, those networks talk to each other. So we think there's value in that. Uh, you know, we think obviously Alibaba has done an incredible job growing that network and that B2B space. They've done some really admirable things and, and speaking to their US team has been a really, really eye-opening experience on how serious they take this stuff. We mainly just have a loose partnership of saying, hey, like we can have a site here and we can help bring in some leads and qualify people to help grow the network in the United States. We don't have any technology connections or API connections or anything like that where, where any data is flowing back and forth. Got it. That's helpful. Good. Because, you know, data. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you know, at a policy level, the two countries have very, very different takes on that. So, you know, we realize that's a sensitive space and we want to make sure that we're very respectful with that. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, I think at the time that we are publishing this podcast, we'll have announced your Series A funding. What can you tell us about that? And what does that do for you? It allows us to keep the lights on. <laughs> no, it's it's very exciting. I mean, we we just, we have two of the best partners we could possibly have. You know, when you're when you're a founder of a company, you have so much to think about and you know, raising money is, is a full-time job. It is. Absolutely. It is a ton of work and there's a lot of booby traps that you can step in. And you really want to make sure you pick the right partners for the right reasons. And because a lot there's more that comes with it than just the cash, right? The cash is great. It keeps the lights on. But you want to pick partners who can be a strategic partner and help you push initiatives forward, or learn things faster, or lend product, you know, or lend like some horsepower to the marketplace, or you know, just give some strategic things to us, or technology oversight engineers help with onboarding and hiring and finding but good engineers. All these things are things you have to think about when you're when you're vetting partners. We hit an absolute home run in we think in in landing our Series A partnerships. We have Vinmar Ventures, which is Vinmar Ventures is a, is a is a sub company of an investment company of Vinmar. Vinmar is large plastics and petrochemical, led by a really talented CEO Vishal Garadia, who's just you know very forward thinking, very respected by his team, uh, very young for his position too. Um, and he quickly saw what we we had built and saw some amazing value in it. I think he was just more curious than anything. This, he's like, this is really exciting. I think, you know, you guys have, have put some thought into this. So Vinmar led the round. They're the lead investor in the round. And we left a little bit in the round uh, left over to make sure if we found a really good strategic partner, then we'd be able to take them on. And this is the first time this has been public knowledge, but we're really excited. I think you know that the press release will have dropped after this airs. But we have had Gradient Ventures, which is Google's early stage AI-focused venture fund, come in, fill out the rest of our, our Series A. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I and mean, they're they're very forward-thinking. 
uh, obviously they have a lot of resources that they can help us with. You know, they have office hours we can call on and ask and, you know, really amazing experts in engineering sales all across business functionality. But just the fact that they, they see the vision, uh, they, they understand the vision. They're, they're fascinated by the, by the industry and they're just an incredible, they're going to be an incredible partner. So we're really excited to have them on the cap table. And it was hard to keep it buttoned up for so long because we we're so excited to tell everybody and especially our team. We didn't get to tell our team until we had an all offsite and you could see the eyes light up when we told them. I mean, and that's, that's part of the startup journey that everybody hopes to be on. So that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of built out of these milestones, right? Where like, if we could just get to the series A and then you get to the series A and then you have about 48 hours of peace. And then, it, then it's like, oh no, it's like, okay, we got to get to work. <laughs> now we got to execute on this. Yeah. Now we gotta execute. Yeah. Now we got to execute. So what is next for Blue Palette? So now you've got a bunch of funding in, you must have big plans. What's next? We do have big plans. On the immediate roadmap is, is building the team. Um, you know, building the team is something that we feel, you know, we feel very strongly about getting the, the right people in the right seats. Is this going to be a lot of technical developers or more chemical industry people? Because right now, I mean, I think you may be one of the few that really have a depth of knowledge that's in-house at the moment. Am I right? Yeah, I think there's about three of us that, that really come from the chemical industry that, that are part of this leadership team. We are going heavy on development. So obviously, we're, at, we're in the process of, of bringing all of the development onshore into our own house. So we have... We have been adding developers and it's a very difficult market to add developers. So it's one of the things, yeah, it's, you know, just finding the right ones, finding the right expertise in the tech stack that they need has been really challenging, but Gradient has been really helpful with that. Obviously they have deep networks in, uh, in the developing world or in the engineering world. And then I would say the other half of it is building out the sales team. So uh, we, we have very talented marketing and digital marketing team. Uh, we have very talented operations of product team that, that, the biggest group is definitely the engineering side. And then now we're starting to build out our, our sales team, which is coming together really well. Um, so it's nice to have some help on there. It's been, it's been just a couple of us, you know, shouting from the mountaintop for the last couple of years. And now it feels like we actually have a, some resources. Awesome. That's very cool. Well, this has been a really great conversation, Austin. I appreciate you taking the time and learning a lot more about Blue Palette than, than I certainly knew before. And I think you'll be really interested in it. So thanks for joining us on The Chemical Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And, uh, and I encourage anybody to reach out to us if you're interested or curious or have more questions because we tend to get into this and people are like, I have a thousand questions. And so- I have a thousand questions and I'm going to refrain. <laughs> fantastic. We're, we're all ears. We're here to answer. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And thanks everyone for joining the Chemical Show today. Thank you. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.